Hey, everybody. Welcome to Book Reviews Kill. My name is Evan, and this is an interview with Travis Baldry. You might know him as the narrator for such works as the Cradle series by Will White. We'll get into all the accolades and stuff like that, but what's important is that we're talking about mostly Legends and Lattes, which is a book I read like, I don't know, like a month ago, and I absolutely loved it. A lot of people loved it. So many people loved it, in fact, that Travis signed a deal with Tor Books, and this is this is an independent book, right? This is this was written five months ago, and it's just so awesome. You can kind of hear the excitement between both of us. Like I'm really happy for him, and he's really kind of overwhelmed with everything that's been going on. And I really loved sitting down with him, and we ramble. <laughs> this is this is why I kind of started off with this. Uh, uh, <laughs> happy little content warning for you. We went over video games. We went over the state of fantasy today. We're going over everything. So, you know, obviously this is a book podcast. I want to stress that. And we do talk about books, but we are also talking about everything under the sun that has to do with fantasy and science fiction and everything like that. So, you know, I really hope that you enjoy this episode. I certainly had a blast making it, and I can't wait to have Travis back on. And if you haven't, go buy Legends and Lattes and read it in a cozy spot next to a window while it's raining. It is just the best. Uh, yeah, without further ado, here is my interview with author and audiobook narrator Travis Baldry. Hello, and welcome to Book Reviews Kill, a podcast about fantasy, science fiction, and horror novels. I'm Evan, and today I'm sitting down with Travis Baldry, author of Legends and Lattes, co-owner and CEO of Double Damage Games, creator of Torchlight, Fate, and Rebel Galaxy, and narrator of such acclaimed works as Will White's Cradle series, Kyle Kieran's Slade Singer, and AFK's Divine Apostasy series. Wow, you are busy, Travis. I, it really sounds like that when you put it together that way. <laughs> Does it feel like it? I mean, I definitely feel busy, but that feels more like the past 20 years busy. So just like kind of all compressed into a single space. All of your accolades. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's really, really nice to have you on here. I read uh, Legends and Lattes a few weeks ago, and I have this ridiculously long to-be-read pile, the TBR pile. It's like 90 books or something. But every now and then... So I there's just like this weird kind of process on social media where a book just keeps getting brought up over and over and over again. And I kept seeing Legends and Lattes and I loved the cover. I loved the uh the tagline like a novel of high fantasy and low stakes. <laughs> I loved that so much. And I, I think it was just something that I was looking for. I mean, I, I feel like a lot of fantasy I don't know if you agree with this, but um a decent amount of it seems to be really intense and not in a bad way yes it is i mean i like that but yeah there's it's the stakes are so often like world spanning universe spanning stakes you know the the end of civilization is nigh or whatever yeah it's or it's or it's just death yeah there's a lot of real there's a lot of grim dark which i like you know abercrombie's amazing oh of course uh abercrombie's amazing you know you've got like mark lawrence is out there doing his thing i mean george r, mm -hmm. r. martin had a lot to do i think robin hobb even yeah that's a different kind of brutality for me it's more like robin hobb's ghostly hand enters my chest and just squeezes <laughs> my heart over and over and over again and somehow i still want that she seems like the sweetest person in the world and this, like <laughs> how could you do this to fit how could you do this it's brutal 
Yeah, I mean, I, it was just such an, I mean, it's cliche almost at this point, but it's just such a breath of fresh air to to read something that I was emotionally invested in, but didn't bum me out. I'm glad. I'm really, really happy to have read it. And um, I was I was sad to see there wasn't more, but I think that that's, you know, kind of... I'll, I'll try to rectify that. <laughs> it's like the cool thing about uh, reading things that you like is, you know, the feeling of wanting more is is always a good thing, too. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I like that I got to at least finish the story and that I didn't decide I was just going to tee up a three book series <laughs> and leave some kind of cliffhanger. Is that something that um, you feel like the industry kind of like pressures people to do at all? Like just to write these these series? I don't know from the outside. I don't feel like I'm really like in the industry. I feel like as I'm an accidental author. So there are probably <laughs> pressures that are applied to them that I'm just not aware of. It certainly seems like everybody wants to write a series, and I can't decide if that's from the author's perspective. They want to tell really big stories that keep people coming back for additional volumes. They just they just have to tell something at that scale, or if there is you know some sort of publisher pressure. Um, when I was talking to Tort, they seemed pleased with the fact that my sequel did not have to be a direct connection. It didn't have to be that it wasn't a direct story following. It would require you to buy the previous book. And that makes sense to me because it feels like with most series, the deeper in you get, the more and more you shed readers, right? So as a publisher, they have to be aware of this. Yeah, I think maybe um, having it, having something where it's, uh, I guess, serialized, you could say, but not necessarily like this continuous story where it's like, we could go back to the world, right? But we don't necessarily yeah. have to. I think that's like the cool middle ground. Like, uh, I know like- That's what I want. Yeah, like Ian e. Banks uh, does that with like the culture series, like Ursula Le Guin's Hainish Cycle does that. Discworld is that for me. It's just a ton. It's a ton of standalone stories that are in a world that just like, gets richer the more of the stories you read, but you can start anywhere. Really. Yeah, I mean, and well, I mean, Discworld is really cool because you've got like the little series, like it's kind of like it's almost like you can read like four books that are kind of this in the same yeah, but they really. Yeah, they'll follow like the same characters. I mean, here's our Vimes group of mm -hmm. books, and here's you know Nanny Og is in these, or or and this one's more about the university. But you can still kind of just pop out. You know, you can just say, oh, I, that was that was still felt like I got an end. Yeah, Terry Pratchett was the uh, the master. He's my uh, he's my palate cleanser. He's great. I've got a few questions here for you. I wanted to ask, uh, do you think that your work on various video games helped with like your creative approach to writing? Like in writing like this novel specifically and maybe your approach to writing more? Probably to some extent, but it probably had more to do with uh, how I work than anything else because that's a lot of uh, kind of like self-motivated work. I mean, I say that. I tried to write a novel a whole bunch of times and I failed abjectly every time. So, it, you know, maybe it didn't help that much. Um, I actually think I got a lot more out of audiobook reading as far as writing. Interesting. I, I'm sure I took something just from the basic you know, brute force of sitting down and doing work that isn't always pleasant. Right. <laughs> to get to the end, to the, get to the end of a project. I really enjoy reading audiobooks. It's actually really great and really fulfilling to do because you're kind of, I mean, you're getting to read a story and you're kind of getting sort of your best version of that story. You're squeezing out everything from everything. You never skim, right? You're just getting the full version of the story. So it's actually really hmm. cool. Most of, I think most of the problem people have when they're narrating is just the general problem of putting their butt in the chair because you're working at home and there's snacks like right <laughs> over there. So for me, what I do is I work live on Discord most of the time. So I have an audience that's there and that hangs out while I work and it's like having an office and it makes me embarrassed if I leave Whoa. to go eat snacks. So I work pretty regular hours, which is nice. 
So I like that a lot. I think as far as um, useful stuff from audiobook narration when I'm writing, it's obviously you have to like books and you have to like writing to want to read audiobooks out loud. I think that's I feel like that's a prerequisite. You have to like like language and like characters and like stories, which, you know, you're already at least off to a good start. But one of the really cool things about it is that you're reading a bunch of other people's work. And again, you're not skimming. You have to you have to appreciate and take into account everything that's being said and everything the author's trying to do. And you you're often getting a really good sense of what they're attempting. And you're like, are they succeeding or are they not? Am I getting out and pushing here a little bit to help them get what it's clear they're trying to achieve? Or is this just totally effortless and I can't believe how great this is? Am I really bogged down now because we've been talking about the rugs for the past eight pages? Or, you know, is it really flowing? Um, so you're making all these observations that I think accumulate and help you kind of refine your own approach to writing. Not necessarily good or bad, but like you really refine your own taste specifically and what you want to write and read because you've just got this really fast loop of iteration in going through a lot of different approaches to solving the same problems. You're engaging with it. You're engaging with it in a way that you don't when you're just sitting down and reading it to yourself for pleasure because you emit things you don't care about when you read for pleasure. It's like when people say that uh, after editing, your, after when you're editing your work, you should read it aloud to yourself and all of these things will be exposed that you don't otherwise <laughs> notice. Well, that's basically happening for a narrator all the time, every day for hundreds of books. So it's like this, this incredibly fast churn of learning. Wow. At least, at least about what you yourself want to do. Yeah. I mean, I guess you were able to really get a good feel for the rhythm of these kinds of, of dialogue yeah. and, and of... Um, you know, just like narration and description and how, you know, maybe when you're narrating, you're like, man, like we've been talking about this hillside for a whole page. Like Quite that's, that's time. a long time. I mean, I mean, and do it if you want to, obviously, but. Uh, and, a, and, a, and a sentence that's hard to articulate out loud is I think also hard to articulate in your brain, like things that don't stick or that you can't find your way to the end of the sentence, you get lost in the middle. That happens to you at an even greater degree when you have to say it out loud. So you start to recognize things about like the construction of a sentence or how you fold it in next to dialogue or how you handle your attribution that make it easier or harder for you to comprehend just at a very basic level, at least for me to comprehend me as the narrator. But I, I, I think a lot of that's universal. It's just really, and it's like, it's like having a class all the time <laughs> on how, how stories and how prose works. It's really cool. Wow, yeah, you might. You, I think you might be a pretty special case, as far as I. I mean, I, I live and breathe of this stuff. You know, I mean, I'm reading and writing and making content about books all the time, and I, I don't know of many audiobook narrators that have gone on and and written their own stuff. There's a few I can think of. Uh, Julia Whalen, I know, does. She she's got a new book coming out, I think. Um, Eric Jason Martin. I I know there are a few. I know there are a few, and obviously there are authors who narrate their own work too. But um, the other direction is probably definitely rarer, <laughs> which is kind of a little funny. <laughs> it feels like there should be more authors who are narrators because, you know, they like books. There's like this and, I, and you can confirm whether or not this is true. But I think the, the general kind of idea of audiobook narration seems to be that it's really tedious. I don't find it tedious. I mean, if it's tedious to you while you're doing it, I think that probably comes out in how you're performing it. There are certainly books that I like and love. And then there are books that I read that I don't like and love. <laughs> that definitely happens. And usually with the ones that are harder that way, it, you, the challenge is you got to find your way in. You find something, you find out what the author loves, 
you try and connect to what the audience is going to love on they're they're writing this for somebody and who is that person and what do they want out of this and if you can connect to that in some way then you kind of like it's like suspending your disbelief a little bit you're just doing it on behalf of someone else <laughs> if i could read every book that i love out loud to myself instead of in my head i would do it because the actual act of doing it is i get so much more out of the book if i had infinite time that's what i would do do you find yourself doing that at all like unconsciously I mean, um, when I'm writing, I'm kind of narrating in my head. I'm still a really fast reader when I read, read on the page. I don't slow down the way I should. So the nice thing about audiobook narration is it makes me slow down and appreciate things. I might otherwise not get like, it's like I'm only getting like 50 or 60% of it. It's like, but when I have to read it out loud, you turn it all the way up to 10. I get everything. Yeah, I kind of do that sometimes when I'm reading. I'll like, I'll read like the first and last a paragraph of a uh, excuse me sentence of a paragraph kind of simultaneously and i'm like okay they're like walking out the door and then yeah they're doing something i don't care about my, 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 my. but there's sometimes there's stuff in there that i should have yeah that really <laughs> was meaningful but i'm just being lazy so i'm just not allowed to be lazy so it, it's it's nice i'm curious about your mentality uh going into right do you prefer to outline or just kind of like see where the story goes or a little bit of both i mean was legends and lattes like heavily outlined at all it was outlined. It was outlined. Every other time I tried to do a National Novel Writing Month novel, I tried to pants it, and I always failed in the middle. So this is the first one I outlined, and that worked. And now I'm just going to do that forever. When I outlined, I kind of narratively wrote out the story. So, like, in just plain... And it's not like bullet points. Like, I had, I just kind of, like... It's like a condensed narrative write-out of this story that's, like, you know, a couple pages long or whatever. Fortunately, this book was really simple. It was, but it was also, like... You're not just telling the story of, uh, and I'm not trying to like explain your own book to you, but like you're you're not. It's not that you were just saying Orc wants a simple life, coffee. Yeah, you know she's still growing and learning along the way, and like you know filing that down and trying and like having it fit. And and you know it's like you can't have a story like literally with zero conflict in it. No, it's just how can I make this? It's like almost like a puzzle. Like how can I make this work with conflict that's not what I would traditionally expect given these characters and this world. Right. Cause I mean, you could have written it as like, they're going to, they're going to kill her whole family, you know, or like, yeah. <laughs> or they're going to use her as some kind of like instrument to bring about the end of the world. If she doesn't, there's a sword fight somewhere in the middle, right. you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I like how you have like the kind of, there's like this, this kind of threat of not even really violence against, um, and I'm I'll trying to spoil anything, but not, not even really violence against, the main character as a person or their you know bodily but just what they care about yeah it's a it's a threat to their their plans or their intent or their hopes or or whatever so the main character in legends and lattes viv uh, if i'm pronouncing that right uh, yep five uh is seeking a quiet life after years of combat and rough travel did you kind of relate to that some in some way going in like was it easy for you to get into that mindset Yes. Yes. It was it was a lot of I mean most of like the basic ideas of you don't have to live one kind of life. You can change what you do. You can go do something else and maybe you find a community of people that exists that you didn't know was there or that you even needed and that it completes your life in a way that you hadn't expected and just that you're not you're not too old to do different things. And then you can you can you can have a fundamentally different life. That was all really resonant stuff for me. Obviously, I've had different jobs. I made video games for twenty plus years, and I was good at it. And that was 
after you've done things for a long time, they feel like they're inevitable. Yeah. Like I've already devoted this, the sunk cost fallacy almost. I've, I've devoted this much energy in my life to doing this thing. I guess I'm just always going to do it. I can't be anything else. I've already sunk in all that time. But at some point after I started doing audiobook narration, I just discovered it, it, it was like I had Stockholm syndrome or something. <laughs> like why, why am I sticking around for this? I'm not happy doing this. The, the industry is brutal. The community is kind of really transient and a little toxic. Uh, it's all it's it's yeah. it's like if you if you're a white dude between the ages of you know eighteen and forty five, <laughs> you know there's an awful lot of you, but there's not a lot of anybody else, and it really does color the your experience living that way. Anyway, I don't want to go on too long about it, but I ended up obviously changing careers. I started doing audiobooks, and I loved it. Yeah, and I I I switched, and it was. It was just like a revelation to me, just the idea that I could even do that. And so that was pretty resonant for me. And going along with kind of the found family elements that exist in the book, that was all stuff that just sort of came about for me too. I was just being exposed to a much more diverse community of people and discovering that they were all just kind. And it was just really, <laughs> it meant a lot to me. So that all bled in there. Wow, that's really, really inspiring to hear. I mean, you, you really did fall into like the, the book community as a whole is is good people it's amazing people i feel like the whole community is always looking to improve itself and and think of of ways like how can we be more inclusive and how can we you know uh push push more boundaries and you know it's like nothing's off the table but also like don't be an ass yeah book people are good people and video games sir This is a different, it's a very, di- that's like slowly immersing yourself in acid. It's very, very different than, than book people. Yeah. I mean, people talk about in books and audiobooks, oh, don't read the reviews or whatever. And I'm like, I've got asbestos skin at this point <laughs> after two decades listening to people who play video games tell me how much they hate me or what I did. And, you know, yeah. books are nothing. You know, the, the kind of criticism you get from book people is so, it feels almost, it feels almost, uh, it feels almost a little cute to me. <laughs> it's like, this is actually kind of nice. Well, yeah. And I feel like a lot of, I mean, you know, you can, you can dig through and find one star reviews for things where people are absolutely trashing stuff. But I feel like the, the, the criticism is usually kind of like, I wish this had been better, or I wish this had been longer, or I don't, I I didn't like this character because of this. And it's usually fairly constructive almost. um, And not necessarily in a way that you would like have to agree and change what you're doing. But if you go on a YouTube channel that talks about video games and look at the comments in there like <laughs> they're really brutal your skin might be abraded just from reading it yeah it's uh, it's a different thing and there are a lot of really amazing people in the game community and i mean there's so many people gaming yeah. right now obviously there's tons of good people there's tons of wonderful people both making games and playing games and it's just it's got a higher level of whatever whatever spice that is it's a spice <laughs> It's got too much of it. Um, I think some of it is the fact that people think of games as a live service, something they can influence, mm, yeah. right? Like if they don't like the game, well, the, we'll petition you to change it. People patch games; they change, they come out, and they're not expected to be static. So there's a there's a there's an element of you can respond to my problems with this and make it more for me. But not a lot of people come into a book and expect you to release a new edition catering their, to their particular whims. So. Like, there's a different objective to the commentary, I think, because movies and books feel more static, which is cool and powerful. It just opens the door to a different kind of, like, 
I don't know, ownership or feeling of like like at like what you're owed as the person who plays it yeah. like that 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 adaptiveness ne- should fully cater to you it's it's like there's, there's like a layer that's stripped away there i don't know video games are a weird one because it's like i i kind of i mean personally like i i still look at it as like art it's a piece of art and and people have worked together on it and whether or not it is a live service when they could you know readily change it or not it's like I don't know. I just never really felt the itch to be like that demanding of it. And I've played some really bad games and been and been like really <laughs> disappointed by things that I was really excited about. Sure, but there's a lot more going into making that game than just what my expectations are of it. Yeah, and they're just so hard to make. Right. I mean, they're not as hard as they used to be. Now we have so much technology that takes a lot of the technical limitations away. But making a good game is hard. Yeah. Especially and making one that stands out anymore is even harder because, again, it's not like, wow, this these people are smart enough to put a triangle on the screen. I mean, all of the the old technical hurdles have mostly been taken away by Unity and Unreal and whatever. And now it's just all about can you make a game that's fun and can you make a game that stand out from stands out from other games. I mean, when Doom came out, just the fact that it would even function at all was like a miracle that this game was good and did things that nobody else was doing. Obviously, it stands alone, but it's very hard to do something that somebody else isn't doing anymore or doesn't have the technical capability to do. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I, uh, I'm i a really huge fan of uh, From Software games. Oh, yeah. So Elden Ring comes out. I took time off of work. I I, I didn't, po- you can ask people in my community, like I didn't post anything for like a week. I didn't make any, I didn't write <laughs> anything. I didn't read anything. I didn't do anything. I just, I just played that game for like 12 hours a day for like five days. And I loved it. It's a fantastic nine out of 10 game. It's an incredible game. But it's funny that you mentioned what you just did because Breath of the Wild came out five years ago and I feel like they were touching on it. Like, and, and they just, it's not Breath of the Wild and it it doesn't. No, but it's got a lot of similar, there's like a lot of similar, like divine uh, design ethos underneath it of like how that world is constructed and how you navigate it and how the world design leads you through it. You know, there's all kinds of lessons that they clearly like learned from Breath of the Wild. I mean, you're never going to mistake the games for each other, but you can feel like that shared DNA. And it's almost like it's, it was just, it was funny to me seeing the reaction by the community and as a whole and just saying like this is one of the best video games ever made this is so incredible and in the back of my mind i was just kind of like yeah but i feel like they did this like five years ago when they were also saying this is one of the best video (laughs) games ever made these are at least you know the challenge of making something of that scale that's of good quality is still a huge challenge it's like red dead redemption 2 was just like i when that game came out honestly still if i look at that thing i'm like how in the hell did they even make this? A thousand the, the, people. The scope, the amount of stuff, and the baseline level of quality is just unbelievable. So when people make these big games that actually hang together, it's always pretty impressive. Yeah, I I feel like it'd be really fun to work for a studio like that and be a part of that team and like realize this vision and create that thing. And then also, how incredibly stressful must that be? Oh, yeah. I mean, how many people were on a team that when you, when you were making games? So I was mostly small team games. So uh, the biggest ever was like maybe 30, 31 on crew. Torchlight 2. But then I got tired of running a studio of that size, and I went back down to like two people mm. and then five, <laughs> and you know. So, 
but I never, I've never worked on these kind of like Ubisoft, Nintendo uh, scale of game where it's like hundreds and hundreds of people, probably on multiple continents, you know, coordinating, making these vast things because that that's a whole other deal. I think at the end of it, everybody's tired yeah. when you ship a game because it's always a hard. It's just there's just so many things that can go wrong, <laughs> and when you're making a game, it's not like anything else. You're solving problems you've never solved before, probably. And you're just guessing how long it will take. And you're just constantly refining your best guess. And (laughs) (laughs) because nobody who's made Elden Ring ever made Elden Ring before. Nobody who made Breath of the Wild made Breath of the Wild before. They they only have other things to relate it to. And those things are different. So you're always guessing. You you crawl across the finish line and then... (laughs) And then everybody tells you what's wrong with it the moment it releases. Oh, there's this bug and it crashed and my save was deleted. Wah! Now you're at your lowest and you need to you need to resolve that as quickly as possible. That must have been um, really, really cool for you going from working in that kind of like a team sports kind of capacity, right? Where you're you're kind of relying on on other people uh, a lot more often. And then you kind of go into this other mode where now it's like, you're recording audiobooks and now writing books, and it's much more a a solo venture. I mean, I'm sure you're still working with people, but it's a very different vibe. Yeah, it's a very different vibe, and shipping is just different. I mean, there's never like somebody calls you up with a oh, there's a bug with your audiobook. It doesn't work on my <laughs> Samsung. Blah blah blah. Can you can you track that down? I mean, I don't have to worry about that. That's great. Um, if I listen to the audio, that's what the audio reasonably less audible's weird horrible compression yeah. is going to sound like on the other end. So, I mean, that's great. If you send out text for your book, I mean, what's in there is what you had. It, it's always the same thing on the other end. So that's all, that's all nice. And you get to ship more often. I mean, it takes years to make a game right. anymore. So, I, I mean, I get to release an audiobook like every week. So that's cool. Man, that is so awesome. <laughs> yeah, you have a good voice for it. Thanks. It's, I, I, never thought, I never thought so growing up. I was very odd. I've been meaning to get to... Um... Uh, Will White's Cradle series. It's so fun. It's so fun. So I, I just want to preface this. I've run through the first three, just treat the first three as one book. Okay. Because a lot of the charm of the Cradle series is when the full cast gets together. That's what really makes it go, and it basically never lets up once that happens. So the first books are good, but you just don't have the real experience of the books until you've assembled the main cast of characters. And then the pedal goes down and it just never lets up. It's great. When you're doing these audiobooks, like, were you able to like meet Will White? Did, did you talk to him? Or I finally met him in person last year at Dragon Con. I had talked to him on the phone, you know, and obviously by email and and whatever. And he and his family are amazing. So his family is basically runs Hidden Known Publishing. So it's a whole family endeavor, and they're all just the most charming, wonderful people. I love them a lot. But I didn't actually meet him in person until just this past year. He's a great guy, um, and I love his books. You know, I unashamedly love them, so they're always a joy to do. He just writes really, really enjoyable characters that I like being around, that are a lot of fun. And he, as a writer, is just very economical. He just there's good stuff on every page, which I really appreciate. I love it when people find a way to have a meeting where somebody gives you information, but also really cool stuff is happening at the same time. It's almost like you're tricked into getting all of the boring stuff. It's not boring because it's been woven in in a way that's just really, really entertaining. And I, it's just really cool to see that happen. I respect it a lot. Yeah, that's like one of my favorite things in books when there's like a scene where there's a lot of information being delivered, which is fine. Um, but it's always kind of cool when there's like something just like 45 degrees off that's kind of 
also happening even if it's somebody like playing with something you know what i mean there's like this thing that yeah kinda... it's like a magic trick there's yeah. just this it's just like misdirection almost like you almost don't notice that you're getting this information because this other thing is keeping you engaged it's really neat so lessons and lattes seems to have really i mean uh, you know the situation better than i do but it seems to have really taken off it certainly surprised me in every way that it is possible yeah, like how how has that made you feel? Like what what has that been like that whole process? It's been really nice, really great. It's pro- it's easily the most positive experience I've ever had with something that I made. Wow. Which is doubly weird because I didn't actually intend it was it's unintentional largely. I mean, I wrote the book to finish a National Novel Writing Month. Um and I published it really only because I work with independent authors all the time and I wanted to know the process they go through when they publish their books. So I thought I would just do it. And I, I don't do anything unless I'm trying to do it like it it would be my job or this is the way that it should be done. But I, I went through the whole process, went through setting up, you know, Kindle Direct Publishing stuff. I've got a cover commissioned. You know, I wanted to learn how the layout was done. So I got vellum and I laid out the book and oh, wow. I went through a real proper editorial process. I have a friend who is also an editor and she's an author and an editor. And we just bartered for her to do the edit on my book. And then I released it. Well, uh, before I released it, I just posted the cover art and then Sean and McGuire like retweeted it. And Ooh. then then everything went nuts. <laughs> so do it. that was the start of things being very unexpected. The good cover. I like my cover. I think the cover's great. I like the cover. I think it, I think it does exactly what it is supposed to do. And like a little side note here, it's like um, the the cover. I'm sorry, it matters. Like I, <laughs> it does not, matter not, a lot. You're not supposed to do it. It's like the age old adage: don't judge a book by its cover. But like, I don't People know do. anybody that doesn't do that. It's so everybody important. does. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. And I think you, it can like, provide information. I think covers are cool because they can provide you context that you can't get. I mean, yeah. I love seeing characters and covers. I like I like something that that communicates the vibe of the book to me and that reinforces the feeling that I'm already going to get. It's like, it's just nothing but a force multiplier for like my enjoyment of the book. Absolutely. Like uh, the Gideon the Ninth cover, Harrow the Ninth, those are just freaking metal awesome covers that communicate the vibe of those books so amazingly well. Yeah, I still haven't read those. Well, when you do, those covers, you'll ha- that imagery will just be in your head and it's just, it's like resonant. I don't know. I think it's amazing. Anyway, I've really drifted way off where I was trying to answer. Yeah, it was it no, was fine. really great. I interrupted you. <laughs> I was I was super blown away. Um, it's different than anything else I've ever done because this is something I wrote for me. Like I just wanted something nice. <laughs> I wanted to write something nice. I read yeah. a lot of adventure fiction, which I love, but it's usually pretty fraught. We were talking about you know fantasy and how it's often like these world-ending stakes. Um, so I wanted something that wasn't that. I was joking around in my Discord, and I think I said something like, oh, it'd be really cool to have, like, a Hallmark Channel movie in the Forgotten Realms, you know? Something that made me feel good, but also still traded on all this these trappings of fantasy that I like. So that was that was probably the genesis of where I decided to do it. But I did yeah. it mostly for me. Um, so the neat thing about having other people like it is, like, it's something that I that was important to me, like a thought or a feeling or something that I struggled with or, or discovered or, or whatever matters to somebody else. It's like, it makes you feel less lonely in a way that I don't think I've ever experienced before. It's like this reaffirmation that other people share the same feelings about things that I do, which is really cool. And I've never had that with anything else I've done. When I narrate an audiobook, that's somebody else's, that's somebody else's story. That's somebody else's feelings. And I might resonate with it and I hopefully bring something to it, but it's somebody else's. 
games are different. Their, their aim is different, right? They're to engage you in a different kind of way. And they're also super transient. I mean, you write a, make a game and 20 years from now, nobody's even gonna be able to play it. <laughs> They'll get it, in, it'll just be obsolete or they won't care. It'll look ugly compared to what's available then. We'll all be in VR suits, whatever. Um, but the book just is always gonna be there. And the feelings are always going to be the same thing. So it's cool. I, I, it's really yeah. hard to express how cool that is. It's really cool. The fact that it's a nice book that's about people choosing to be nice is also nice because the responses it get are usually in line with that. It's people who are like, I'm responding to this because it's about being nice. So they're almost invariably <laughs> really, really nice. It's just unbelievably pleasant. It's, it's just the, it's the coolest thing. I'm I'm still just sort of staggered. Right, I can tell. Yeah, you're you're like you're I, you're still so excited, and it's 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 really really. I'm so happy for you. Like genuinely, it's just I really do understand that that feeling of of being a you know you're you're a creative person, you know, and you, and you want to share all this stuff with people, and you it feels like you're on the plateau so much. Like, and that's like that's like cool that you're on a plateau, and then something spikes, and it's just like here we go. Now we're cooking with gas. <laughs> Do you feel like at all like you you now have like some expectation that you need to hit for like another book, or is is that like weird weirding you out I, or anything? I I do, and I'm trying not to, because I didn't write the first one with any, and I know I mean I I already was gonna I already had another book in mind, and so now I I have this period of worry like oh well if it doesn't feature coffee enough, <laughs> no there's no. The main character is not an orc, and there's no coffee. Am I? I mean, is it just going to be whatever magic it was? I, I've lost it. I I can't find it again. I don't know. And I'm yeah. going to try and just not care. I'm just going to try and write the story about the thing I want to write about, and we'll just see how it goes. And I'm kind of relieved again that the first one was a standalone. So that if I totally <laughs> fumble it, at least the other one's not ruined. It's still there. I mean, the the fumbling, like I mean. That's the thing with it is it's like with anything else. I mean, like it's if you're doing it because it, there is something about it where you where you're losing yourself in it and you and it's it's fun and it's hard work and it's you're confused and frustrated for some of it and then you're not for other parts. And it's you have that whole process. And it's just like even if it was perfect, then you thought this is perfect. Someone's still going to say it's not as good as Legends and Lot. So it's like it's a wash. Somebody's not going to like it. And somebody maybe will like it more. I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to say. Um, and I'm working with a sample size of one right now. Like, I finished one book. Yeah. What do I know about writing books? I, I, my, my, my success rate <laughs> is extremely low, given the previous attempts. So I, I'm not going to pretend like I know what I'm doing, because I don't. And I'm not going to pretend that this isn't largely like a confluence of like timing and fortune. I think I was telling somebody like a couple of days ago, like, all I did was hold my accidentally hold my bucket under the right rain cloud and just yeah. made sure it didn't have any holes in it. You know, I can't make it rain. I didn't do that. That's just, that's just all things I didn't control. I think that the timing was good. It's a book about something that people are kind of craving right now in the same way people like were, oh, Ted Lasso, this <laughs> makes me feel not like crap right. while it's COVID. It's just this, you know, it's like a, it's like accidental timing, Sean and McGuire being my fairy <laughs> godmother. Um, you know, it's... The cover just happening to turn out so well, you know, all those things, I I have some vague hand in that, but it's not, I can't take credit for any of that. So it's already like magic. It's already like, 
I, I wasn't really responsible for it this time. So believing that I would at all way in any way be able to be responsible for it another time is, is hard. I'll just try and hold. I'll just try and make sure my hole doesn't have any buckets just in it use again. The same bucket. <laughs> hole doesn't have any bucket. I just reversed that. My bucket doesn't have any holes. Maybe it is. Just use be a the hole. same bucket. <laughs> just just use the same bucket. It's a brewery this time. I'm just going to change some nouns in this book <laughs> and put it back out. The next one is just totally different. The next one is like Murder, She Wrote in Fantasy Ooh. World. It's just totally different. It's not the same at all. Oh, you're fine. People love that stuff. Um, well, we'll see. I've never written a mystery before, and I don't know how much of a good mystery it'll be. And I don't know if I care. I more care about the people than like the mystery. I just want cool characters I like. And I think I, think I like these characters, so hopefully that works out. Uh, do you ever read any uh, Stephen King? How come like a really big Stephen? Oh yeah, I'm a big fan of Stephen King's work. There's like this really cool thing, and I might butcher it, but uh, I'll try to pay, paraphrase it. But he kind of essentially said that, um, like creating characters is like it's like you're sitting at a bonfire, alone at night uh, in a desert, right? And it's completely black around you, completely dark, except for this one fire, and slowly people start to edge closer to the fire. And they just kind of keep getting closer and closer until you can really start distinguishing the features of those people as they come in. And then eventually they sit down right next to it and you can really see like, yeah, I just thought that was such a beautiful analogy for not only characters, but just, you know, events and themes and, and, and things like that. And just, it, it doesn't, it feels like you're kind of sitting alone in the dark, you know, and, yeah. it, and it, it's a little spooky and and it's like ah man was it a good idea for me to even like come out here <laughs> do you do you remember like any kind of like click with with viv or any of the other characters where you felt like here we go there she is we can work with this for me I, they all were very sketchy at the start like i knew what the point of each character was like the basic of their character but they don't feel real until i started writing them so like even though i outlined and even though i knew who was there i don't know there's just all this shape that gets filled out when they're written where they became more real and it mostly it's when they talk to each other when the dialogue works when people are interacting and their personalities are obvious just from a couple of lines that feels really good to me because i like i like kind of spare dialogue that hopefully tells you who somebody is while also communicating whatever you have to communicate and it, so it felt good while i was writing to have conversations just work and i was like oh yep if cal and viv are talking this is exactly what it sounds like and this like his vocal tick just appeared it was just like yep that's that's your vocal tick that's who you are and it's obvious to me while i'm writing it but i certainly didn't write it like in the outline we'll have hob who says hmm and is cantankerous and you know his personality just seemed obvious so it's cool to kind of like there he is it's cool to have just this little skeleton all of a sudden have muscle on it well hob um when he does his kind of he he goes like hmm Right. Hmm. But then you have yep. Viv do it. Yeah. And that's that's a really good example of kind of like you're not doing much, but it works so well because now it's like you get so much out of that. Like Viv, like Hobbs kind of rubbing off now and Viv's kind of settling and getting more comfortable. And it's just you, I was able to it's like her sense of humor starts to be exposed right. to us like she relaxes into making a cracking a joke and you know a gentle nudge in the ribs like that comfort level of being around someone where you feel comfortable giving that like gentle rib around about a personality trait that's that's obvious and that also you know because you've been around them long enough to absorb it there's just something about that yeah i think one of my favorite things in books is when um you've got two two or more people that are a little bit at odds with each other and then 
they just slowly I, I could read that a million times they could they just slowly start to settle in with each other and get to know each other better yeah that dynamic is just it's maybe i'm just a sucker for it but it just works every single time i love it when people have differences and work them out like adults and it's like competence porn it's like <laughs> you you these people are just capable of making their lives work right um i like i like when people's emotions don't have to be like teenager emotions for me to register them totally you know because uh, adults aren't like that. i hope you know most adults aren't like that I'm, mm. I'm not like that it's not like adults don't have emotions but they're not like i don't know this this sort of manufactured clash i love pe seeing people like work things out and figure them out like they <laughs> like they're not idiots <laughs> and it's nice to have that happen when there's you can still have like drama that happens and like a reason to keep reading but it doesn't have to be because well, they really started out as like a super douche at the start of the book. And the whole book is about them not being a super douche. You know, it'd be, it's nice if your character arc is something else. I wanted to ask, uh, are there any other slice of life fantasy books? Like we, we talked about uh, Terry Pratchett a little bit, but like, was there anything else that kind of inspired you? Like any other kind of styles or authors that you really admire or anything like that? I didn't have anything particularly in mind when I wrote it, but that doesn't mean I didn't like Osmos stuff. Because clearly, I think there's a lot of like discworldness in it accidentally. I certainly didn't do that intentionally, but there's that kind of like the anachronism that he often plays with. You know, we got coffee shops. Well, he has one about, you know, inventing the movies or the post office or whatever. Um, I think mine was more like smaller scale and less about like big societal inventions, which his often were. Um, and obviously, my sense of humor is not the same, it doesn't have that kind of British wit. Um, every line but some of that obvious i think i think probably just appreciating that kind of storytelling clearly led in it probably leans more toward the nanny og side of things than Gr granny weatherwax i don't know right. um after the fact i started poking around because it seems clear that this stuff exists it already exists all over the place um t kingfisher has some great i, I love t, t kingfisher's work and i think i end up echoing some of it probably unintentionally um i just read neville and bone it was great and while i wouldn't like classify it as like the same genre exactly it's got this a lot of the same sort of like modern sensibilities married to like classic fairy tales or fantasy um i'm also reading what i'm in the middle of paladin's grace right now which is even more that to me if if i don't know if you've read paladin's grace but no what is uh, who, who is that it's also king uh, ursula vernon t kingfisher um and it's about like a like a 40 year old like berserker paladin whose god died and he's kind of retired and sort of kind of given up in, <laughs> on life and he's at this other um and, and he stumbles across this perfumer and like when he's bored he knits socks i mean it's <laughs> so it has there's all of this background of like the fantasy world and then it's about these two people and you know their relationship and it's and there's this very modern touch to the way that it's told she has kind of like a very modern voice that just blends so nicely with this much more, you know, arcane and, you know, fantasy setting. I mean, I'm kind of hoping that, and this is just me personally, I mean, I've read a decent amount of fantasy books. And what I'm kind of hoping is that books like yours and books like T. Kingfisher's and, and, and a lot of these things that are kind of cropping up, I'm hoping that we're kind of on like this slide up into a different kind of fantasy um, not that, and we we touched on this on the beginning of the episode, but I do like grim, dark stuff. But I, I feel like what I'd really like to see is kind of like this revival of that 
like late 80s early 90s wave of fantasy but with a lot of the things that we've learned from grimdark as far as like you know because one of the really cool things about the anti-hero and 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 that that really dark intense setting is that you can explore a lot um yeah. uh, characteristically with people through a lot of like shared trauma and just like awful things happening yeah. but it'd be really interesting to explore in that same vein but with with different themes now like maybe the yeah and, and i think that it's really cool that, that you did that like i just i really really do i mean like um it doesn't all have to be like she was an assassin and a damn good one i'll read that a million times but it's like let's but yeah and, and you're i think you're really right about the observation about grimdark often being about it's about something a lot mm-hmm. of the time it's about like this very elemental things about people of course a lot of the times like certainly Abercrombie stuff is. Oh, yeah. But yeah, people are all kinds of things. So talking about more things that people <laughs> are, then that kind of like, there's just a lot more distance to like a lot of classic fantasy because it's more about the quest. It's more about the plot. You know, it's like these these particulars of character are like secondary to making sure all the armies get to the right battlefield in the end so that the sort of hootie flutely can be deployed against the evil what's he butts it. Um, so what's he butts it, you know, <laughs> which I'm don't get me wrong, listeners. Things. I love that book. Like I will read that. Book I do too. Forever. I do too. But it's like, but I got a lot of that book and maybe people listening would disagree with me. Cause there's a lot of really hardcore, like wheel of time fans that listen, but like, like Randall Thor, I think he had, uh, I don't know if you've read the wheel of time. Um, I read the first like eight okay, books. Cool. So, uh, I think a lot of people did, <laughs> but like <laughs> he, I, in my opinion, like there was quite, uh, the character assassination there. If, if initially it was kind of like, he was so reluctant, you know, it's like, you know, you're, you're, you're classic reluctant protagonist. And it's like, I wish that the story had been kind of like filed down and like f- a little more focused on characters like Rand or like Matt, where it's like, you do see mm-hmm. a lot of the things about their character shine through, but the book isn't, it kind of the series stops being about them almost in my opinion yeah because it's so big yeah, yeah. there's so many threads to threads to deal with and the world is ending like how can rand's struggle yeah. with like whatever he's doing really compare to like literal satan like <laughs> like taking over the world i think i feel like sanderson does does a really good job of taking kind of the the huge scale of like the wheel of time kind of approach but also keeping the characters like a little bit more front and center. And I don't know if that's just because the characters themselves are stronger or just the the amount of time we spend with them or how they're bouncing off each other, but I feel like he surfaces that better. Like he learned a lot from that. And I think with, um, I mean, did you read any of the Stormlight books? Yeah, I'm all caught up. Okay, so like with Stormlight, he did a really creative, I don't, I don't, it's, he wasn't the first person to think about this, but like he did a creative thing in that he kind of centers each book around a character like that was a really good idea so it's like you know you're seeing these pov chapters from different characters that you like but then it's like this hard specific shallan this is the shallan book this is the yeah this is the this is the uh, yeah yeah and that is that was a i think that lends a lot to just how fleshed out everything is because it's like you go back um and you now going forward and reading this chapter in the Shattered Plains, now you know more about Dalinar. And then you can put yep. it into the context of everything that's going on now. Instead of like, with books like The Wheel of Time, it's like you're kind of just following these people around. Yeah. Um, which is, I mean, 
Wheel of Time. There's a difference in like the distance of the narration. Like I feel like Brandon's like really modern voice gets you really close to the characters, you know, and he has his his prose really gets out of the way unless you get really close. And I think it's that modern kind of approach just makes it easier to relate to them like really immediately. Whereas a lot of a lot of fantasy and Wheel of Time is a little more distant. It's more like the dude by the, the fire, <laughs> you know, telling you the story. There's a certain amount of like distance and also like putting on like the trappings of like you know, making this fantasy feel kind of regal. I don't know. I, I know it's exactly just like this, what you mean. <laughs> there's this, there's this more, this more like, I don't want to say cultured, but there's a little, a little bit more of a forced tone to it, which I think again, puts this distance. These people are long ago and far away instead of like right now. Right. And I think Wheel of Time is probably one of the last like really big, like Western European kind of you know, you know like, yeah. like horses and swords and knights and, and and i think that like maybe um the last kind of like holdout on that was probably game of thrones um yeah and i think that it's just kind of like you know it's, it's probably we're probably good on that right like i mean yeah. like I'll, I'll still read it but like like i just got done reading um uh fonda lee's Greenbone saga i heard that was good i haven't read it yet there's like planes and phones and it, oh man it is it is epic. It is so good. Um, and it's just like a really good example. I'll add of that like, to my incredibly oh tall my TBR. <laughs> but it's such a good example of like the different directions we can really go with this. There's a magic system, but there's also cars, you know, yeah. there's a, there's really cool fighting and weapons and all this stuff, but it's like, they're getting on planes and having business meetings. So yep. yeah, like uh, the, that kind of expansion is really really nice and it's like you know you've got like books like yours that you know they they they're bringing i feel like you're bringing back a lot of trends that were very apparent and like you know you've got like forgotten realms type stuff and all that stuff is so great and then having those more modern kind of like character focused more grounded approaches to how yeah. to tell the story i'm a huge fan it's awesome i like i like having you know, I, I don't think anything's not improved by adding like a little magic and supernatural stuff <laughs> and cool yeah. fantasy stuff. I like that stuff. It's like, I don't want to, I don't want to read stories about sad people having affairs. You know, it's just not like the adult fiction that I want to read. I want to oh read God. about real human things that matter to me, but I, I'm really not ready to give up, you know, like dragons and shit. So, um, I want both. <laughs> have dragons cheating on dragons? <laughs> sad, <laughs> sad dragons going to college and uh, treating, uh, cheating with their um, interns. It'll be very. It'll win a. It'll win all the, the awards. The, the Pulitzer. <laughs> I have a. I have like one kind of last question, and um, we can kind of we can kind of start wrapping. Is is that okay with you? Yeah. I didn't want to take up too much of your time. Um, I'll take up all the time cool, you want. Cool, I love doing sure. So you ask as many questions awesome. and we can talk as much as you want because this is a blast. Awesome. Um. Um, oh, uh, what video games are you playing right now, if any, if you have time for them? So I, I have on deck uh, Horizon and Elden Ring. And unfortunately, they came out at a, <laughs> nearly exactly the same time. So I was playing Horizon, and then I switched to Elden Ring. I'm only picking at it right now. I just haven't had a ton of time lately. And I'm just praying for the, you know, like a couple days to rub together where I can play it a lot. My eldest kid has been playing in my stead and just kicking the crap out of it um so that's that's what's on deck for me um and then you know when breath of the wild 2 comes out everything else can just go to the back of the line <laughs> yeah um poor poor horizon poor gorilla games i know because it seems like it's an incredibly well made game yeah. 
you know well, they had the release date locked down and elden ring was supposed to come out in um i think october or november 2021 and and they got delayed it happened with breath of the wild too actually because horizon came out right around the same time as breath of the wild those poor poor people and those are great and all games. the work that was put into that game it's so well oh, made incredible like i mean i've only played the first one um but like uh my, my birthday is coming up in like a week and I'm, I'm going to england for like a week like right around then but Ooh. i do have like this like three day span where i think i'm just gonna buy horizon forbidden west and just turn everything off and play it just like dive in yeah because it looks really yeah it's good. it's super cool you know and they did a really get, great job of like getting you back to it without going through all of the preamble again mm -hmm. you know they really kind of condensed that so you can you get to go get to get going pretty fast so i'm on like my seventh playthrough of breath of the wild right now <laughs> i did so uh good. i think i did i think i did two real playthroughs yeah. um but my second one was with the uh i was trying to do it with the the expansion where they had the higher difficulty mode, which whose name I forget is escaping me at this moment. But yeah, yeah, I was doing the master mode, which is a little slower crawl through, <laughs> yeah. at least for me. Uh, did you ever play uh, Hollow Knight? Yes. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I didn't finish oh, it though. It's really hard. I, think I got like maybe halfway through. Um, um, and I like the the Super Metroid, you know, mm -hmm. Metroidvania archetype of game a lot. I mean, Super Metroid is still the best, but um. <laughs> Hollow Knight was good. Yeah, those Metroidvanias. Those, I think that's why I like um the like the Souls games so much. So they're like three D Metroidvanias, kind of. Yeah, they have a lot of those elements. Oh, I can't get there right now, but I will be able to later yeah. for various reasons. And you can just see so much of the world that you can't quite get at yet, but then you do, and it's very satisfying. Yeah, I kind of preferred. Um, I will concede that Elden Ring is a better game, but I th I think Dark Souls three is still my favorite. The only the only soul. So I've played all of the Souls games, but the only one I have finished was demon souls the remake really because the remake but it's good there's there's something to be said for having your loading times literally be only like <laughs> two seconds when you die right because the sting of screwing up is lessened an awful lot also running at a solid 60 frames per second all the time goes a long <laughs> way to making you never be mad that you fell off the edge of like a big you know annoying elevator because you felt like the frame rate was too low oh my god speaking of frame rates i um i just use a, i have like a decent like macbook that i use for everything but i don't have a pc i use a i use an xbox series s and i have my switch and my ps4 um my brother wa really wanted to play uh, divinity 2 original sin or divinity oh, yeah. original sin 2 or whatever um so i went on steam on my macbook because apparently that's a thing and i bought it it was like on sale it was like 18 bucks i was so excited about it um apparently like macbooks just can't can't do it like they just like oh my god i we just oh my along. god it was so bad it was it was like it was like somebody tried to make a 3d game in like 1991 i'm like <laughs> I, and i was just so now i've kind of like because it we played about half an hour of it and i could tell immediately that it was exactly the kind of game i wanted to play and now i'm i kind of want to spend like 700 dollars on <laughs> Well, I know there's a console version of Divinity's Original Sin yeah, 2 also, but I can't remember if it was for Xbox. I have it on my PS4. Uh, I bought it like a long time ago. Um, and it's not, it as, seems like it would be kind of annoying. As soon as I started it, I was like, oh, I have to play this with a mouse and keyboard. Must play with yeah. mouse. <laughs> it's, ugh. Um, I have a couple more here for you. Um, you might not like this one. I didn't write it in. <laughs> no, um, do it. Do you have any advice for, this is kind of a two-parter. Um, do you have any advice for people that are trying to get into narrating audiobooks? Um, 
it's a really great industry with really nice people, and I love it. So I always encourage people who are interested in to look at it. You got to want to sit in one spot for hours reading out loud, and you can kind of test this out yourself just by going into a room somewhere and reading out loud for two hours. And if you hate it by the end of it, you probably should not be a narrator. And then you save yourself any investment in money. <laughs> mm-hmm. Totally. Um, there's two sides to it. There's a technical side, and then there's like a performance side. And the performance side is the most important one. Technical stuff you can resolve. The most important thing is that you can read a book and get what the author is going for and deliver that in a way that's relatable to who's listening. Um, And for people, for most people, that involves some kind of coaching when they're first starting out. And there is a really friendly audiobook community. There's Facebook groups for it. You can get get training and find out what you need to know, like what you don't know that you need to know. Really quick resources. There is a site called um, narratorsroadmap.com that has a ton of freely available resources and is reasonably easy to remember. Most people who are starting out are going through acx.com, which is a service that's run by Amazon Audible that allows independent authors and small publishers to put up books for audition. And you can just audition for them. And then if you win the audition, then you can get your book published. You can, you can take on the work and do it um, and be paid for it. But there's a lot of competition because there are established narrators doing that work. So coaching and getting better is a large part of that. There's a lot more than just having a nice voice. There's all kinds. I, I could talk for hours about the particulars of audiobook narration. There's a ton to learn, but I think it's an amazing industry and it's an amazing job. And I would never want to warn anybody away from it if it was something that they wanted to do. But those are good, those are good places to start to get info. Or you can just hit me up. Like I say, people in audiobooks are really friendly. We'll just answer questions. And uh, on top of that, I know we, uh, we discussed this and, and, you know, like, what do you, what do you know? But do you have any do you have any advice for uh, for budding writers out there? I wrote up a giant medium article where I went through everything I went through to write this because I'm just that kind of nerd. Um, and I, I can probably point you to that. It's somewhere buried on my Twitter. Um, but I, things that worked for me, which I don't know if it'll work for anybody else. Um, one, I outlined because I was a pantser before. So if you are not if you have been trying to write a book by the seat of your pants and it's not working, maybe just try something else. I know. Outlining doesn't work for lots of people, but it worked for me. So, you know, if, if something isn't working, try something else. I, I think one of the things that helped me get to the end of writing my first book was that I'd finally picked something simple and relatable. Um, I, I've told this before, but people when I was making video games would come and they'd be like, I'm going to make a video game and it's going to be World of Warcraft and GTA and it's going to have the conversation system from Mass Effect and it's got a hundred different endings and whatever. And they were always very, very ambitious. And I'm like, you know what you should do? You should make Tetris. Right. And I finally took that advice myself. And so this is my Tetris. It's something simple that I could think all the way to the end of. I could keep it all in my brain. I understood how it worked and I could just write it. And all my previous attempts, I was like, well, this is just not going to be the best novel ever. And like, you know, have eight POVs. Is it even fantasy? You know, and and finally, I just made something simple. And that was the right thing to do because simple things can be just as successful as complicated things. Sometimes maybe more so. Look at Tetris. I mean, <laughs> anybody can make Tetris. The important thing was that Alexei Pajitnov made it first. <laughs> Um, so pick something simple. Um, and the other was writing on a schedule. I, Nano was really helpful for that. I had a writing buddy, which was extremely helpful. So both of us just kept each other on our word counts. We just, you know, encouraged and made sure that the other person got their words for the day and we both finished. So that was super useful for me. Once you do write it, edit it, get somebody to edit it. If you're going to, 
Because you learn so much just from the act of editing. When you did this project for NaNoWriMo, did you, because I, I mean, how many words did it end up being? 62K. And then I edited out 62K, and then I edited out 2K and added back 2K. So it ended up basically exactly where it started. And then I did a really long edit process. We pulled out, you know, redundant stuff, you know, tuned sentences down. And then I added a few expanded scenes and conversations just to make sure some characters stayed present through the middle. And a few conversations that were more like quiet, got a little bit of elaboration, and that kind of put back all the words. And NaNoWriMo is so cool. It is cool. It's a, it's a, I've done it two years now, and the, the encouragement from everybody doing it is incredible. It is. It is. I think it's cool that you can get something out of it. You can get, you can, you can have a book out of yeah. it. It's not like there's nothing wrong with the book that you get out of it. It's not like it's like the JV, but just, you just, it's just a chance to write a book. It's super cool. Yeah. And I mean, there is something to be said about, you know, getting to the end, like writing, even yeah. if that last sentence is going to disappear in a few months and, and it's like pretty bad. And you know, like going back and read, like there's something to be said about getting to the end of that and knowing like if someone sat down and read this, it might make a little bit of sense. Yeah. Somebody might get something out of this. Somebody might appreciate that this existed. I think there's just, oh, you learn all kinds of cool things by editing. You know, I, I did a really slow edit. Mm -hmm. My editor and I did a chapter a day and I started paying attention to the kinds of things we were editing. And then I would like pre-edit a chapter. I just wanted to like internalize all the editing lessons that were being learned. So slowly over the course of the book, I learned all kinds of cool things during the edit process. It was really neat. Was this a NaNoWriMo 2020 thing? It was just this last year. So it's been what, six oh, months? Oh, wow. Wow. Oh my God. <laughs> Or is this, is it five months? This I don't is, know what it yeah, is. I don't know what month it is. A... Yeah, I wrote it in November, yeah. Wow. And then the edit was through part of December and into January. And I started the, I commissioned the cover art in December and then it got started in January and happened early January. Wow. Um, so it was a very, very short period of time. It will have taken longer for me to go through the contract stuff with Tor than it will have to have written and released the book. <laughs> that must have been... So, yeah, Tor contacted you, correct? Uh, they didn't... The uh, agents contacted... I had, like, three agents contact oh, okay, me, okay. which I was surprised by, and then they went out. Uh, the, the agent that I picked, uh, Stevie Finnegan with Zeno in the UK, um, they went out and shopped it, and then Tor UK came back, like, really fast, and, yeah, it was all very... I was like... <laughs> That's so I didn't wild. know if I was going to do... I certainly would never have considered doing anything like that, yeah. so it was just... And then when the time came, I was like, well, I, I mean, I kind of just put the book out anyway. I guess, why not? I'll just see how it works. Are they trying to, to do a different cover or anything like that? Um, the I'm willing to bet you in the UK will be a different cover because UK cover sensibilities are just <laughs> so different. You know, they wouldn't be caught dead with an illustrated thing. <laughs> you know, it's just not classy enough. I, uh, I'm going to England in, 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 a couple, in like a couple weeks and I'm uh, bringing a, an entire empty suitcase with me um, because I want to... Just to pick up I want, UK there's editions? There's some really cool UK editions. That there I are really some cool want. editions. Yeah, um, but some of them look bad. Like, But I'm sure they think some of ours yeah, look bad. I've seen some like... like I, I, I don't like the Stormlight UK editions like at all. If you look them up, I mean, it's hard to do, and when you're competing with Michael Whelan, it's right. it's tough anyway. But in this case, it's like you didn't even try. Um, <laughs> um, in the U.S., the cover is going to be mostly the same. I think the, typo the typography will be different, but the artwork will be the same. And I think I have convinced them in the U.K. to include the original artwork inside. It'll probably be like grayscale, like in like on a page at the front. Yeah. 
So the outside looks different, but at least you can kind of see the characters if you want, you know, without offending anyone in the aisles of, you know, Waterstones or whatever. <laughs> this is this is way off the rails, but I'm just curious. Uh, what what is your uh, what's your astrological sign? Uh, Aries. Cool. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I don't know. Maybe I'll make that a practice with everyone I interview. Just figure out what the astrological sign is. What's your sign, baby? <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, that's uh, that's one of the questions you ask. Uh, I have one last question, and this kind of came up just uh, randomly while I was typing these out, but I, I thought it was kind of cool. So, and you can take as long as you need on this. Okay. There are three zombies right outside your door, the one directly behind you. Your only usable weapon is the object immediately to your left. What chance do you have of surviving on a scale of one to ten? And before you answer, these are twenty-eight days later zombies, not Dawn of the Dead zombies. Um, unless they are distracted by glowy lights, it's <laughs> a little miniature keyboard which I use for audio editing, uh, and it probably screwed. isn't going to do me any good. <laughs> unless this handle counts as an object to my left, and I can go like this. Rip it off. Um, yeah, I'm pretty much doomed. Oh man. I think it's a, I think it's a zero. I think it's a solid zero. There is nowhere to go yeah, in you're here. Trapped. There are no other exits. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, zombies are so played, but like I just thought of that like randomly. I was just like, I was watching Love and Robots last night because the new season right. came out, and they won. There's like, it was like the miniature zombie invasion. So it's all like tilt shift camera and these teeny tiny little zombies. So it's like a whole zombie invasion end to end with little squeaky voices and like sped up with little miniature zombies. Oh my god, that's so cool! It's... I still haven't watched it. I oh my god, like my 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 host and I have like this weird back and forth because he watches a lot of TV and I like barely ever squeeze it in. Like and he's just like constantly bringing stuff up and I I, I don't even. I watch only a few things. It's hard. Like, I I will watch. It's I and my tolerance level for st- my like my my bar for what I'll spend time watching is really high yeah. now. Like it has to be really really entertaining or singular. Like I watch Better Call Saul because I think it's amazing, um, and uh, I watched Moon Knight. It was cool. I liked it. I don't even know what Giant that is. Giant Hippo Lady was pretty awesome. It was the Disney thing with uh, with uh, Oscar Isaac. Oh, cool. Uh, Marvel the Marvel character Moon Knight. It's all the Egyptian mythology and stuff. Anyway, I liked it. Do you find that? Um... You end up watching a lot of the same stuff that like your kids want to watch, or or like no, no, they want to watch Dragon Ball Z all Woo! the time, and <laughs> well, I can I can appreciate sometimes some Dragon Ball Z. Mostly, they sound like they're trying to take a poop <laughs> all the time, and I can't stop laughing. I uh, I'm still my listeners will know I've I've been chipping away at um that show Attack on Titan. Oh yeah. I've watched, I think I've watched the first four or five episodes. I was not in the mental state of mind to endure Attack attack on Titan over the past year. I have to wait until I'm just like, the world is just more cheerful or something. I don't don't know. know. It's just, it feels brutal. So much. And it's like, it's such a, it's like a gorgeous, amazing show. Like I have never watched anything quite like it. Like just the music and the art style and like everything's all shiny, you know, like the sky for some reason is like really shiny. Um, Yeah. yeah, there's just like parts of that show where like I feel like I'm having a panic attack. Like I feel like I'm just it's just <laughs> like, Yeah. Why did you make yeah. this? Yeah, I, I can't do it right now. I can't do it right now. I know that being, you know, the past couple of years have definitely shaped the kind of stuff I could endure watching. Yeah, absolutely. No, ser- I mean like I I catch myself sometimes just like 
like doom scrolling a little bit and then i'm like okay i need to watch like nope. the great british nope. baking show or something exactly <laughs> exactly that was one of the things i was thinking about with this book the great british baking show and um fixer upper wow oh, yeah because the first like third of the book is it's like a little bit of building montage right totally. it's just something satisfying about you have the crappy <laughs> thing and now you have the good thing it's just like this weird little dopamine hit that it was. It's nice. It's nice. It's like playing the same thing with the Crossing. British baking show. Like, oh, that looks really cool. I want to eat that. <laughs> Dude, the magic that that sh- the, the magical chokehold, the British chokehold that that show has over me. Like, and it's weird. You like, any other any other country tries to make that show. I'm like, nope. eh. no, I don't like the Canadian one. I don't care about anybody else's, but the Great British Baking Show. It's like if like someone from like New Mexico tried to write like Harry Potter. It's just like <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> Like Harry grew up it's in just, a cupboard and it totally sucked. And like, it's just feel like <laughs> this wouldn't just have not it. the same. This wouldn't have just that not touch to it. I know. Like, uh, do, oh, I, I actually, I wanted to ask you this too. Actually, um, do you have any um, audiobook narrators that you that you really love that you think um, do like an exemplary job? There's a lot of really good ones. My all-time favorite is Frank Muller, who sadly passed away a long time ago. He used to do all Stephen King stuff. Oh, yeah. I yeah. love Frank Muller. Really good. He's like the Green Mile, like my favorite audiobook of all time. Incredible. Um, George Goodell's really great. He did The uh, the Gunslinger before Frank uh, Muller did. No, he did it after. Oh, was it? Because oh, you're right. Stephen yeah. rewrote parts of The Gunslinger, so they had to re-record it. So there is a Frank Muller version of The Gunslinger out there, mm-hmm. probably on cassette tape. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> um, Bonnie Turpin, uh, Julia Whalen, uh, God, there's just so many good, I'm, I'm going to miss people and I'm going to feel terrible because no, there's just so, spot. there's a lot of really good narrators. Everybody loves Scott Brick. Uh, mm-hmm. there's, um, anyway, there's, there's a lot of great ones. Jim Dale. Yeah. I'm sorry, but I am a Jim Dale, Harry Potter listener. Oh, I'm Stephen I Fry think Stephen Fry's way. voice is amazing, <laughs> but I prefer Jim Dale's character work. I don't like the way he says. I don't like the way that Jim Dale uh, has Hermione say Harry. Harry. Heavy. I know exactly what you're talking no. about. But I, I, I can hear it in my brain. <laughs> um, my my wife used to have a lot of problems sleeping, and she could only go to sleep if we were listening to Harry Potter totally. on CD. So, like, the entire series, I've listened to it unbelievable number of times, like, subliminally. So it's right just seared you. into my cerebral cortex at this point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, no, no shade on Stephen Fry. His voice is amazing, and he loves language, and you can tell every time he says something. But I prefer Jim's characterizations, especially for Hagrid. I think uh, one of my favorites right now is uh, like Stephen Pacey. Stephen Pacey's fabulous. I should have said him. Stephen Pacey's amazing. Nobody could do Joe Abercrombie's stuff like Stephen yeah, Pacey. Stephen Pacey is mwah, chef's kiss. I seem to kind of... I, I almost I th- I feel like personally I gravitate more towards the British ones because it's just it's got like that extra kind of like zhuzh. I don't know what it is. Well, British people make things sound good. They do. They make things sound good. Um, and a lot of fantasy really lends itself to it with the language that's used. Would it be frowned upon for you to uh, to fake a British accent for an entire? I mean, movie? I fake a British accent all the time for dialogue. Right. Yeah. So. I've had uh, a case where someone wanted me to read a first-person book that was clearly oh. written with a British person in mind, and I'm not British. And I was like, I should, we should just really have a good British actor do that. Because I could do it, but it's like you're stretching stretching a little further. And if there's a good British narrator to do it, why wouldn't you just do that? <laughs> no, we have to have Travis Pauldry. It makes sense for me to do British accents for people who are talking, because books aren't about just one person. They're about a whole bunch of characters. They've got all kinds of accents. So that's not even weird. 
Yeah. It's only weird when it's first person and all of the narrative needs to also be delivered in the same dialect. How do you choose what, like, how, like, what to make someone's voice sound like? Does the author have any input on that or anything, or is that all I you? I mean, it depends. Uh, some authors like to have input. Some some authors have, like, actors in mind. I mean, a lot of the things about it are ideally you're getting right out of the text. I mean, if somebody says I and arse, you know, you probably know a lot of things about what kind of dialect they're using, and it's just built into their language. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it'll just be mentioned. That happens more often if it's, like, contemporary and you're saying where somebody's from. Um, but usually there's lots of clues there. Some authors don't even know what their characters sound like. Some have like a really strong idea of this guy is played by Robert Downey Jr. in the movie adaptation and they know, and I love to have that information if I can get it. Yeah. Um, but mostly it's also how do I partition out these characters so that they play well together when you're hearing them? Like right. everybody can't sound the same. You know, if you've got if you've got multiple people who are snarky, witty characters, they probably all shouldn't have the same accent unless they really must for reasons of narrative or, or whatever. You've got to partition them out in some way, especially in fantasy where you've got like more room to play. I, f I feel like it'd be it'd be difficult if there was like some like uh, other creature of some sort. Right. Like, have you have you had to do that where you're not? Oh, yeah. You're I do not even lots of creatures. Okay. I do lots of creatures. One of the best characters in Cradle is like a two ton turtle that's on fire named Orthos. <laughs> and he's amazing. <laughs> he's the best. I love doing Orthos. He's so good. I get a, I do a lot of dragons and beasts and whatever. We're going to have to hear Orthos now. I mean... All right. Um, <clears throat> Orthos is extremely low down and gravelly. <laughs> And uh, what did he say? So good. The dragon advances. <laughs> he says things like that. Anyway, wow. he's fabulous and he's also funny. Do you find it hard to kind of like keep consistent on that? Like, you know what I mean? Like to um, remember what everyone sounds like over 10 books? Like, that's a lot. I mean, I keep voice samples of everybody. Oh. Because yeah. you do forget after a while, unless they're really singular. I will never forget ortho. Some of them are just like burned into your brain. And uh, in Shade Slinger, which you mentioned like earlier, there's a talking axe named Frank who I will also never forget. Frank is amazing. He's like easily the best banter character I've ever read in my life. He's just so fun to read. He's just funny as hell. That made me think of um, the, did you ever read uh, Dresden Files? Uh, the first like three. Yeah, like uh, James Marsters does the audio yeah. books. For the, he yeah. does an amazing job yeah. for that. And those. he's like a long journey on those because we've been doing them for a while. Like so. 16 books or something. Yeah. They get, keep getting longer. Um, all right. I think that's going to do it. I think we're going to wrap that up. Um, I shot a lot of questions your way that I didn't uh, write down and send to you yesterday. And uh, I, I much lots no, and lots great. lots of credit for you answering those and me putting you on the spot with naming some of your peers. <laughs> Sorry. I, I named enough and I qualified it enough that I won't feel too bad. Totally. Right. <laughs> But yeah, um, everybody that's uh, been here for the ride, thank you so much for listening and being a part of this awesome, awesome episode. It's just been such a joy to talk to you and such a, a pleasure to read your book. I'm really looking forward to, you know, whatever else you've got coming out, I will uh, I will plug it to the masses to the best of my ability. Thanks so much for having me on. It was really great. It was just, I had a blast. Hell yeah. And we'll, we'll, have, we'll have you on again. Yes, please. Travis, thank you so much. And to everybody else out there, happy reading.